The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up, last week's pod, nothing will top the Spurs game. This week's pod, hold my beer. We'll try and break down the amazing four-all draw with Manchester City. There's news of a good weekend for the women's team and a victory for the under-21s. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. I mean, what the actual... Peel yourself off the ceiling, fellow Chelsea enthusiast, and settle in for some revelry. It's me, Matt. I'm joined today by two of the Athletics' finest. Simon Johnson's back with us. Hello, Simon. I can't believe they failed to win again. I'm so disappointed. Once (laughs) again, when they're on top, they didn't make it pay. But enough about the New York Jets. Um, I'm talking about Chelsea today, and uh, yeah, what a week it's been. Mm, incredible. We did have a tweet from Joseph saying, I wonder if Simon can uh, find something to moan about, but certainly not in terms of Chelsea FC. Luke Bosch is back with us after a well-earned rest. Uh, Luke, that was quite the game we enjoyed on Sunday. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, absolutely mental, really. And now into the equally exciting international break we go. Mm, Yes. Well, speaking of international breaks, this morning, Monday for us, Cole Palmer has been called up into the England squad. Lucy put the call slash Cole out for some nickname suggestions for everyone's new favourite Chelsea player. Our Luke went with Ice Cold Palmer, which I like. Uh, Tushar said Goal Palmer and O said Cole World with a nod to J. Cole. Uh, Luke, I'm assuming he's some sort of musician. (laughs) Yes, Matt, he makes the... uh popular hip-hop uh, music that you may be familiar with. Simon, what's your favourite J. Cole track? What? <laughs> anyway, back to the New York Jets, right? So, <laughs> uh, there's only one J. Cole that Simon and I know, and uh, he's now an analyst for TNT Sports. Uh, right, before we get to Sunday's game, Ben has been in touch to say, you know you've won young hearts and minds when your 12 days of Christmas makes it into my son's birthday card. This is Harry. An avid listener to the pod, he turns 10 today as we're recording. Uh, ben has included a picture of Harry's birthday card in his tweet in which he's written the 12 days of Chelsea ditty that aired on Tuesday's pod. A very happy birthday, Harry, from all of us here at SOC. All right, high time we get to it then. Sunday's game. Cole Palmer. Where do we start with this one then? How about a Liam Toomey voice note? Okay, fine. In the matchday programme, Rhys James describes Chelsea's 4-1 win over Tottenham as the craziest game he's been involved in. I feel like there may be some editor's tweaks to that going forward after this absolutely manic battle with Premier League champions Manchester City and Stamford Bridge. Chelsea more than held their own and by the end were more than worth a draw. The draw that Cole Palmer's ice-cold penalty. Was there ever any doubt that he was going to score that, having seen what we'd seen from his previous three attempts from 12 yards? thought he and Raheem Sterling, who a moment ago just chucked his shirt into the Matthew Harding lower to a rapturous roar, 
were both absolutely immense against their former club. They clearly needed no added motivation for this game in particular. I've never seen a left winger give Kyle Walker so much trouble as Raheem Sterling did. And then even when he was moved to the right, it was him who drifted into the little pocket of space deep into injury time to pick up a pass forward, get his head up and clip a ball into Armando Breuer, which panicked a scrambling Ruben Diaz into bringing him down and gave Chelsea a chance to come back and snatch a draw. They came back three times in this game. There was a period of about 18 months where Chelsea simply did not come back. If they fell behind, you knew it was over. You might as well leave early. But this performance, as well as the scoreline, is a far bigger indicator of the progress under Maurizio Pochettino than last weekend's win against Tottenham. Clearly, that was a better scoreline for Chelsea. But to go toe-to-toe with City in the way that they did, and they did go toe-to-toe. They didn't, you know, they didn't spend long spells defending. They didn't give up playing football. They constantly looked to make City uncomfortable, and they did in the driving rain, which I think had an impact on both teams here. Lots of mistakes. And they took the most of their chances. You know, Nicholas Jackson building on last week's hat-trick against Tottenham with a really composed bit of anticipation to react to that Conor Gallagher shot and put in the rebound and a clinical finish that suggests he's learning how to impact these biggest matches. But there were so many positives all over the pitch from Chelsea. Marco Correa recovered from a bad mistake, I thought, for the Erling Haaland penalty. Soft though it may have been, Anthony Taylor endearing himself to the Stamford Bridge crowd again. I thought he recovered to have a pretty good game. I thought Chelsea's defence gave up some unforced errors for the City goals. I think the one that Pochettino was most annoyed about was the Manuel Akanji header on the stroke of half-time. And at one point, it looked like City were going to teach Chelsea a lesson in how to start and finish halves because the timing of those second and third goals had the potential to be killers for this game. But they never stopped Chelsea. Their, Their defiance was palpable throughout the game. The crowd responded to it. This is the loudest I've heard Stamford Bridge in a long time. And there's now belief that they can compete in these games and maybe even win them. And there were times in this game where Chelsea looked like they could even win it. I think Malo Gusto is going to be thinking about that left-footed curler for many days to come. But in the end, I think Chelsea would have been ecstatic to come out of this game with a draw ahead of kickoff, And not just to come out of it with a draw, but the manner in which they got this draw, I think is a huge platform for the weeks ahead. And there's real scope now for Chelsea to turn around their Premier League season. If you can match the champions over 90 plus minutes, you can beat anyone else. Oh my goodness me. Give me your initial thoughts then, Simon. It's it's a game that we're going to struggle to sum up, I think, with any kind of brevity. But Chelsea were behind, then they were ahead, then they were behind, and then they levelled it late on. What what What's the standout thing for you here? Is it the character of the team? Is it the bonkersness of the game? Is it something else? It's taking on Manchester City. I think for two years since the Champions League final, Manchester City have had like a psychological stranglehold over this Chelsea dressing room and they've dominated the fixture. Chelsea hadn't even scored against them. As I tweeted pre-match, it reached 588 minutes and of course went over the 10-hour mark during the game itself without a goal. So when Man City went ahead, I think everyone in that ground went, here we go again. 
and especially the nature of the goal as well. I think it was a very, very generous penalty decision for a number of reasons. So for Chelsea to come back from that was almost unheard of in the last two years. Well, it is unheard of. The fact they scored, but they they were willing to go at Man City. They weren't going to just sort of cower and sit back in their own half and, and try and keep the score down or just be completely outplayed, not getting enough of the ball. My mind goes back to the... The awful um, Lukaku and I'm trying to remember who played up front with it. Was it Werner when they played two up top and and basically couldn't get out of their own half? And those two up top were just passengers in the game. And it was just I think Chelsea lost one nil, but it was it was worse than that. They obviously went ahead and then came back again from the sort of the psychological blow, conceding two goals either side of half time, and then came back again from the, the unfortunate goal from Rodri, which deflected off Thiago Silva. So for me, it was just sort of not showing that weakness that they've shown before. And some of the football they played was great. Okay, we can all pick coals in the in some of the goals they conceded. But I, I think it's one of those pods where even I'm going to sort of focus on the positives throughout because th- this team deserves it. I think it's a really significant week. Hopefully, fingers crossed, because this Chelsea side always have a knack of taking a step back just when you think they're going places. But I think it's a really significant two performances in a row. Uh, yeah, right to keep up with the positivity. A couple of people asking us to criticise Anthony Taylor. I don't think it's really the time to do that. And Mitch says, can we discuss Chelsea's inability to defend crosses? Um, no, Mitch, I'm afraid we can't today. Uh, Luke. In terms of the team that lined up, not too many surprises. Levi Colwell pulled out injured. He had a knock in training, so Kukurea started at left-back. But other than that, this is pretty much the first-choice team for Maurizio Pochettino now? Yeah, I think so. I think because of uh, Badia Shield's injury, we've seen that Dizassi and Thiago Silva have emerged as the kind of first-choice partnership at the back under Pochettino. Uh, and that's kind of continued with even with Badia Shield gaining some fitness and it remains to be seen if Badia will end up replacing Silva or maybe it's this season or next but yeah Reese James you know finally fit I think it was his um, the first time he started back-to-back league games uh, this season so that can only be a positive and that midfield three I think it's been working so well in the last sort of five to seven games Caicedo, Fernandez, Gallagher I just I'm so impressed by Conor Gallagher as I'm I'm sure many Chelsea fans are Um, and individually I thought you know, it was obviously a great collective team performance, as Sai mentioned, you know, mental fortitude on display. But I think individually, so many strong performances. Robert Sanchez, I think, has continued his uh, pretty solid start to his Chelsea career. Raheem Sterling, one of his best games of the season, I think. Gallagher, Palmer, obviously, very, very good. And, and Reese James, before he went off, was uh, was quite impactful down the right-hand side. So, yeah, plenty of positives. And loads of tweets. Many thanks to everybody who sent one in. Um, I like this from Tom. He said, exactly what percentage of that game do you think Liam would describe Chelsea as being broadly excellent? Um, which is very on point, And I would say probably quite a lot of it. Prasanna says, has Pochettino turned the season with the Man City draw? They were the best team against Liverpool, Arsenal and Spurs, but lost their way. However, today they were consistent for 90 minutes and the game could have turned into a win if not for a few individual lapses mistakes was this the best 90 minute performance as Prasanna says there Simon because there have been flashes of of good performances but maybe not one as solid as this for the whole game and it was 100 minutes wasn't it not 90 
I'd have to say so, yeah. I, I, I hadn't thought of that until you asked the question, but my instant reaction is yes, because it lasted that long, that performance. You know, the fact that, that the penalty was an injury time sort of says it all that they went right to the end. And also you have to factor in who it was against. It's the best team in Europe. And f- for good periods in both halves, they you could tell Manchester City weren't comfortable. They weren't enjoying the experience of having a team just constantly go at them and hassle them every time they're they're in possession. Yes, a team as good as that are always going to create opportunities. But like I said at the start, Chelsea just kept going, just kept going. And I think, again, sort of referring to Pochettino, I think there's such a massive two games for him to connect with the fan base, to sort of convince the fan base, perhaps the doubters among the fan base, to win against his old club is always a good thing. Uh, to beat Spurs, to have that on your CV, but to then back it up. I, I wonder if you'd taken a poll before that game, how many Chelsea supporters believed they'd even get a point against Man City because because uh, the record against them has been so bad. And if you told them, oh, yeah, Man City will take the lead, I'm sure a lot of them would have said, no, if we fall behind, we're going to lose the game. So I think it is full of positives. There are question marks in terms of going forward. I don't think we can get too carried away. Chelsea still haven't answered the the question, which is, can they beat a team that defends? But it's certainly against the best sides, they are showing that they're going in the right direction, that, that perhaps this Chelsea side under Pochettino are, are growing in belief. How are you feeling about Poch, Luke? Do you feel like Chelsea supporters are developing an affection for him? Did that full-time ranter, Anthony Taylor, only enhance his credentials in that regard? Yeah, I think that will only um, endear him further to Chelsea fans. But I think we've seen Pochettino on the sidelines, I think, can be at times more measured than previous Chelsea head coaches. Maybe not more measured than Graham Potter, but more measured than some of his predecessors. And I think, you know, results, as Sai says, against the big teams, albeit you know, apart from the Spurs game, they've all been draws against Arsenal, Liverpool and now Manchester City. You know, those are the games that win you support and almost buy you time with the fan base. And especially that, you know, almost that freak game against Spurs that will, um, at Spurs as well, that will go down so incredibly well. And I think, you know, he's been, you know, almost harping on about it. And we've kind of finally seen it against Manchester City. The performances, I think, have been steady to consistent under Pochettino right from the beginning of the season it's just the results you know and the taking of chances and how they play against low blocks those are the areas in which they've struggled but I think Chelsea are definitely a team that seem on the rise you know they're trending in the right direction and I think you know if they keep playing like that and they learn you know to play against those low blocks you know and that will come from developing chemistry and results like this will build you know that will make the dressing room and the training ground, a nicer environment to work in. And, you know, that will only help. And I think results will keep coming. I, th- I do think he is, you know, it's a bit cheesy and a bit of a cliche, but it does seem like he is building something. Yeah, he's definitely got a plan uh, in the way that some of his predecessors did not. Uh, in terms of the way the goals played out, then we mentioned the penalty, a bit silly from Kukure, a bit harsh, maybe as well. Thiago Silva then scored what I think is exactly the same goal as all the other goals that he scored for Chelsea. A header 
from a corner. Uh, Raheem Sterling then scored the goal that he scored 100 times for Manchester City uh, to make it 2-1 before Akanji headed in unmarked uh, for the equaliser in first half stoppage time. Haaland scores a very strange goal. He spoke to Viaplay afterwards and said, I've never scored with my balls before, so that is a milestone, which is an absolutely fabulous quote. Uh, but Chelsea quickly level through Nicholas Jackson. Rodri deflected off Thiago Silva before that Palmer penalty in the fifth minute of stoppage time. So a bit of luck or fortune about all of the City goals, really, uh, you could say. We spoke a bit about Nicholas Jackson, Luke, after he got that hat trick and, and people still wanted to have a pop at him and, and you know criticise his performance when he scored three goals in Chelsea's biggest fixture of the season. Elliot says, really impressed with Gallagher and Jackson. Two players who get a lot of stick but are really showing character, work rate and quality. Thought they were immense. It's been a massive week for Jackson in particular, right? Yeah, I think it will only, um, you know, there were a lot of criticisms levelled at him, a lot of jokes made that it was the worst, you know, hat trick people had ever seen. But ultimately for a striker, particularly a young striker, I, I really don't think he'll care. I don't think Chelsea will care how the goals were scored or who they were against or what the, you know, wider context was of those goals. And ultimately, I think he's developing into a really important part of Pochettino's system, even though he's not heavily involved in the build-up play. We saw lots of light, nice moves from Chelsea, particularly in the first half, but Jackson was very much on the periphery of those. I think he had, you know, one left-footed shot from the sort of left-hand side of the box, but apart from that, you know, quite uninvolved. But off the ball, you know, the way he presses and runs, you know, it's a bit of a joke almost, but that is something that he brings to the table that other strikers don't. And I think the way he works in tandem with Conor Gallagher, you know, we've seen it in that sort of 4-4-2 you know, Gallagher was kind of sitting on on Rodri, but also pressing other players. And the way that Jackson can stretch the pitch in games like this against teams that don't play a low block, although he's not directly involved in the build-up, you know, he kind of makes those runs that forces Kyle Walker, Rodri, Guardiola, whoever it is, to kind of maybe drop a bit deeper. And that creates the space, you know, in the sort of middle third, just in front of the penalty box for Sterling, Palmer, Gallagher, for those players to kind of be active and play together and you know the goal is it's a, it's a very nice striker's goal you know right place right time but that's you know that kind of movement that kind of anticipation you know that can be quite hard to teach I think and I think he is still very raw and he is still kind of learning his trade obviously he's not played many minutes at all despite the fact that he's 22 which almost seems like you know in this day and age Erling, you know similar age to Erling Haaland but with far less games under his belt and far less games at striker. Let's not forget, he you know kind of came through at Villarreal as a sort of left winger that liked to cut inside and was converted into a central striker, went through that purple patch. So I think there's still loads more to come from him. All I'm going to add is that Zami Carragher sort of did the reverse commentator's jinx in that he he said just a few seconds before the goal, the only player that I haven't seen much of is is Jackson. <laughs> it was about a few seconds later. Uh, it's in the back of the net. And it's the kind of striker's goal that, that he needs to score. And, and perhaps in, in some games where he's not been in that position to pick up the scraps and you've, you've been wondering, look, that's where you should be. Where are you? And it also felt like that that goal meant more to him than any goal he scored so far. The, the nature of his celebration, I think, scoring against Man City and such a key goal as well, 
you just got the feeling that that he he really enjoyed that moment and and yeah four goals against two big teams in terms of the Premier League that should give him a lot of self belief and maybe he'll kick on and and maybe as well supporters that that may have been sort of getting on his back a little bit he's kind of won them over a little bit now all right i did a firewalk on saturday night and those were not the hottest coals that i saw this weekend because we've got to talk about the boy palmer bradley says is cole palmer the best chelsea signing in the last five to seven years diago silva would be a contender but for someone so young and relatively cheap compared to others he's had the biggest impact i can remember since a hazard or robin zola type Lots of people also, Simon, wondering whether he could be Chelsea's Kevin De Bruyne, i.e. a player that one Premier League team takes from another that the other Premier League team lives to really regret selling. I mean, he's in the England squad now. He's got nerves of steel, but it's not just about the penalties, is it? It's about the way he knits the play together. That weaving run that he went on that nearly resulted in an Eden Hazard tribute goal, absolutely mm. fantastic. And, and to do it at his age in that kind of pressure environment against the club where he'd grown up and spent virtually all his life. Just unbelievably impressive. Yes. Uh, there's part of me that's, that wants stress caution. You know, there's some very big things sort of said in those, in those uh, messages. I understand the excitement, but um, it is early days and I don't want to, I'm sure straight out of Cobham, what we say here is not going to heap loads of pressure on him, but I, I wouldn't want to sort of hype him up too much too soon because it is only been a couple of months and to talk about him being the best signing of the last five, seven years and the next Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, we're talking sort of huge statements here, but all you can say is you like so many things about him. Probably my favourite thing that he did on Sunday may have been him joining the Man City huddle. I thought that was absolutely hilarious and shows he's also got a bit of a, what's the right word for it? Not nasty street, but a bit of a, he's got an, an edge to him. He's not just a nice guy that's going to roll over. He's going to do things like that, which I think is great. It's just a shame that that run wasn't capped off with the finish. It's the classic, if he'd gone down, he would have got a penalty, I think, and paid for his honesty of, of trying to finish it off. But no, all credit to him for that penalty because he had a long time to wait. I like Daniel Sturridge in in the Sky Sports studio afterwards saying it was like he was in an igloo because that's what it was like. He had, what, over two minutes to sit there and think about it against his former club, knowing that it was obviously a penalty to save the game for Chelsea, get a point for Chelsea, knowing it was against a keeper that knows him very well. And then afterwards, he says, I don't even practice penalties. I just trust my ability. Extraordinary stuff. Let's just say he's not short of confidence, this lad. And he's come in, he's grabbed the shirt. No one's going to take it off him now for, for quite a while. He's going to take an injury. Fingers crossed that doesn't happen. Or a dramatic loss of form. And yeah, he's injected a lot of quality into this attack. But also, just like I said, that that bit of edge, that bit of a swagger he doesn't care who he's up against we just need to see him do that against defensive teams and and perhaps he's the one that's going to unlock the low block problem yeah I think you know watching Cole Palmer I'm kind of reminded of the words of one of the great philosophers of our time J. Cole well almost Shaquille O'Neal when he said 
I owe you an apology. I wasn't really familiar with your game. And I think a lot of Chelsea fans, but more you know, wider Premier League fans will be thinking that about Cole Palmer after his recent performances. Because it's not just, I mean, he scored, you know, four goals and they've all been from the penalty spot. But, you know, three of them have been in incredibly high pressure environments. Uh, you know, Arsenal, Tottenham, Manchester City. And it's not just the penalties and the context around them of when they were in the games. It's it's how he's playing. And I think he is playing very, very well. That, you know, that dribble, I didn't, you know, he's only played, I think, 19, 20 game, Premier League games for Manchester City before, a bit more in Europe and the Cups. So I think we're, you know, we as Chelsea fans or, you know, Chelsea enthusiasts and Premier League fans are still kind of getting to know Cole Palmer and what he's about, even though he is, again, kind of like Nicholas Jackson. He's not like a, a young youngster. He's not a teenager. He's 21. But, you know, that 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 dribble that Simon was talking about there you know I I didn't really think he had that kind of source to him to be honest I was quite surprised and you know maybe it's lucky Liam's not on this pod it kind of reminded me of Kai Havertz highlights the way he kind of glided through that sort of slightly lanky left-footed player it was really impressive really really impressive and I think his creativity is something that's impressed me a lot I'd be surprised if he doesn't end up taking a few more set pieces for Chelsea I think that's something he should look to add to his game as a left-footed option that's always always really important and I agree with Sai when I when he says Cole Palmer looks to be the one that will be key for Chelsea in terms of unlocking low blocks because he does have that kind of although I said he hasn't played many games at City he is used to that at City you know he's trained under Pep Guardiola where you are playing against low blocks and you are having to you know make those kind of three-yard runs, one-twos, intricate passes on the edge of the box? No, I, I'm not having Kai Havertz. Sorry, Luke. I'm, I'm going... I'm, <laughs> I'm going... Uh, although it does touch on with the um, the piece that me and Liam did ahead of the game where we refer to people at Chelsea that believe that, that Cole is the player they thought they were signing when they got Kai Havertz. But I got Eden Hazard vibes from that. And, and that is, as, as Matt points out, the way that he swaggered through, I was sort of thinking West Ham a little bit. I don't know whether you, you got those vibes, Matt. The West Ham goal, perhaps a little bit similar to the goal at Anfield. Not the League Cup goal, but the one that he scored in the, the back end of the 2015-16 season. But yeah, it was magnificent. And, and also, I, I liked after the final whistle, him going over to the Man City sort of staff clearly that he has a lot of respect for him, rightfully so. So even after the dust has settled, he's not, you know, he still remembers where his roots are. And, and I thought he showed respect to his former club too. So, yeah, there's a lot to like about him for sure. Yeah, he had played 19 times in the Premier League for City before he came to Chelsea, but only actually started three matches incredible he's kind of like Kai Havertz but without the disinterested body language and almost total lack of end product as we round off this game then Luke we've spoken a lot about individuals and we should give a little nod to Armando Breuer for coming on and affecting the game by winning the penalty but it's about the collective more than anything right because we shouldn't forget this is the best team in the world and you've got Manuel Akanji all of a sudden playing in midfield. You've got Bernardo Silva playing wherever he likes. Phil Foden just with his immaculate first touch and brilliant passing and Erling Haaland, the most fearsome striker in world football. And and Chelsea have, have 
gone toe to toe with them and, and been more than their equal, you would say. It's a victory for the game plan as much as it is for the individual. Yep, I definitely think Maurizio Pochettino will be thrilled with how his setup kind of worked. Particularly, I think I mentioned it earlier on, but particularly Conor Gallagher's role, although it is about the collective, but I thought Conor Gallagher on Rodri, particularly in the first half, was absolutely fantastic. He's arguably their best player with Kevin De Bruyne out injured, one of the best players in the world. I don't think anyone can question that. And his influence was severely limited in large part due to Gallagher and Jackson's kind of combined pressing efforts. I think there were two moments in the first half where Rodri kind of got free and they both led to City chances. I think one, he broke through the midfield, passed it to Phil Foden, who curled one just past the post. And another, he chipped the ball over Reese James to Jeremy Doku. Um, and Doku kind of fumbled it a bit and maybe won a corner. But those are the only times where, you know, where he kind of escaped the press. And I, I just think that's... You know, I think Pochettino must love coaching Conor Gallagher in particular. I, I, you know, can't stop saying his name, but I just think he adds so much to this Chelsea team, particularly against opponents uh, that like to build up from the back and won't be in a low block. I need to stop saying low block and Conor Gallagher. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the way Pochettino is approaching these big games is working, you know, superbly well. And we've seen he can kind of, we can do it in different ways. You know, that Arsenal game where he started without a striker, but against Tottenham and Manchester City, he started with Nicholas Jackson. So it's good to see that Chelsea have sort of multiple solutions to different problems because there is a danger that, you know, sides can be one dimensional. But I don't think anyone can, even though there has been a level of consistency in Pochettino's team selection, I don't think anyone can really accuse Chelsea of being that. And that bodes well for the future. And particularly, you know, if we're looking ahead to after the international break, Fingers crossed, you have players like Romeo Lavia and Christopher and Kunku will slowly return to the side and they add, you know, more depth, more options to to how Pochettino can set his sides up. Yeah, Newcastle, Brighton, Man United and new freewheeling Everton uh, next up in the Premier League. So not too many low blocks there, hopefully. Uh, Simon, Jordan says two games into a run of matches which look really tough on paper, two fantastic performances which might have turned our season. Have expectations of the panel changed at all? And Kunku might be coming back just when we need him. I'm I'm not sure what your expectations were slash are, but Chelsea are 10th. What are they? Still nine points off fifth place, Aston Villa. What is a reasonable expectation for the rest of the season in the Premier League? are you thinking Europa League is, is going to be about par from this point or can they break into the top four slash five? Well, before the season started, I said sixth place was my prediction and I said the other goal was a domestic cup or sort of challenging for domestic cup and, and they're on course for both of those. They're only five points behind Manchester United who I still think that that needs to go to VAR, quite frankly, how they can be in sixth place. They're, they're, they've been terrible, and yet they're five points ahead of Chelsea. It just shows um, how bonkers this game can be. But I'd rather I'd rather be in Chelsea's position as a team in terms of where they're at playing-wise than Manchester United, because you can you can clearly see there's a there's a they're not relying on on sort of freak goals and and late. Um, well, that's funny to say, not relying on late goals. Obviously, they did on Sunday. But, you know, free goals to come out of it from Scott McTominay, you know, and things like that, just to just to paper over the cracks. And, of course, they're, they're in the quarterfinals of the League Cup, taking on Newcastle 
in December. So it's still still very much on. As far as top five goes, and I think it is a top five conversation, I'd, I'd be very surprised if the Premier League doesn't get the, one of the uh, extra Champions League places. They've got an outside chance. The problem is, is that is quite a gap. And as we've sort of seen in recent weeks, because Chelsea have slipped up early in the season, every defeat, it feels like they're treading water, that they're still paying the price for the, the the bad setbacks against Brentford and Nottingham Forest, Matt. And, and, and it means that they've yet to go on a sustained sort of four or five game winning streak. They need to sort out their home form, you know, as, as much as we're, we're delighted with how they've played against Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester City, still only one home win in the league this season, uh, one home win in their last 14 in the league. So if they've got any hope of bridging that gap to the likes of Aston Villa, because it, it, they're not going to get into the top three. I think we can forget that. It's sort of a fourth, fifth kind of thing. With Aston Villa winning every single time they're at Villa Park, they're going to have to go on some kind of run to get Champions League football. That would probably be a little bit of a disappointment for the owners if, if they miss out on Champions League football again. But... If they do finish in 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 Europa League spot, I do think that that does show uh, the teams on an upward trajectory. But there's a long way to go. There's there's de- they can definitely do it, but it's going to take some sort of extraordinary run and form and consistency, which they haven't yet shown for quite a while. Of course. Actually, then Luke, these fixtures coming up, whilst they might look somewhat daunting on paper, this is a great time for Chelsea to have them, isn't it? Because you need to make up ground on Brighton and Newcastle and Manchester United and they're the next three teams that Chelsea will play in the Premier League and you know Brighton not looking like Brighton of last season Man United edging to single goal victories over moderate opposition and Newcastle squad decimation making the opening scene of Band of Brothers look tame this this is a, a good time to have these games no? I think definitely and there was a school of thought that, you know, the international break will be coming at, at the wrong time for Chelsea as they're building a bit of momentum. But equally, it's a chance for Reese James to work on his fitness, not been called up to the England squad. Chance for Nkunku and Lavia to kind of build more fitness. Chance for Breuer to build some fitness as well. So there are benefits to it for Chelsea. And I think, you know, you're exactly right. Newcastle will probably have one or two players back after the international break. But I was looking at their bench for their 2-0 defeat against Bournemouth at the weekend and Matt Ritchie was their only attacking player that Eddie Howe had available to him and he had to use him because I think Miguel Almiron went down with an injury in the first half so their squad is as you say it's it's, it's really thin at the moment interesting subplot there will be uh, Anthony Gordon playing against Chelsea uh, the, the transfer that never was and yeah Brighton I mean we'll see what happens to them after the international break they'll have a few players back as well from injury I'm sure but they haven't won since September I think which is uh, absolutely mad considering how successful they were last season and the fact that they're still in eighth and still in the conversation for Europa League football and as I've uh, said before Chelsea struggle against teams that defend low in terms of their location on the pitch uh, you know getting my thesaurus out there <laughs> um, so I think they will be three games that Chelsea will look to play on the front foot and they'll look to get in behind. And I think there's definitely cause for optimism. And I think Chelsea fans looking at that run now, as opposed to looking at 
the start of this run a couple of weeks ago, we'll be much more optimistic and much more like, yeah, I mean, we should be getting maybe, you know, seven points maybe from those kind of games. All right, so it's Newcastle up next. That is on Saturday, the 25th of November. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Herbie feeds Beaver Jones. Cuts inside. It's Aggie Beaver Jones, and it's magnificent. A third goal for Chelsea to secure three points for Chelsea and three goals off the bench this season for one of their own in Aggie Beaver Jones. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, a good weekend for the women's team who enjoyed a comfortable win in the first game post-Hexit news. Uh, the Blues won 3-0 at Everton thanks to goals from Jesse Fleming, Sam Kerr and the continually impressive Aggie Beaver-Jones. A good win made all the more satisfying after Man City suffered a shock home defeat to Brighton. It means Chelsea are top of the WSL, three points ahead of Arsenal after six games and their goal difference is already eight better than the Gunners' two. Emma Hayes begins her final quest to win the Champions League with Chelsea on Wednesday. She takes her team to the Spanish capital to take on Real Madrid. In terms of the academy size, the under-21s put that mauling at Oxford behind them by beating Leeds 2-1 at York City's ground in the Premier League Cup on Sunday. David Washington's first half brace sealed the deal. Caden Wilson, excellent on his under-21 debut. Chelsea, top of their group in that competition. Despite there only being three games left, the group stage doesn't wrap up until February because scheduling and logic don't go hand in hand in youth football. <laughs> don't know if you saw this, Simon, but uh, no under-18s action. Plenty of Chelsea representation at the under-17 World Cup. Reese Russell-Denny, Josh Achiampong and Harrison Murray-Campbell all scored. England squeezed past New Caledonia. It was 10-0. So, yeah, a fairly convincing win. We'll keep an eye on the Chelsea boys. Uh, speaking of young Chelsea players, Simon, you went to Suffolk to speak to Amari Hutchinson. Let's hear a little bit of that now. He's loving life on loan at Ipswich. To be honest, this is my first loan, so coming into it, I was a bit nervous. Didn't really know anyone apart from Harry Clark. But I spoke to the, some of the boys that have been here previously and they said some positive stuff, so I was like, OK. And then I had a visit with the manager. And I spoke to him and I thought... This could be the best opportunity for myself or developing. He said it's not going to be easy at the start. You're going to have to work your work hard and work your way into the team, which is good because like some managers will like say, "Oh, you're going to start every game." Da da da. So what I needed to hear was good. Um, and then yeah, I've been working hard during during my time here. I'm slowly breaking in. Tell us how it went then, Simon. He's somebody who he had big hopes for, and he's maybe you know going to find his future elsewhere, but. He's certainly well-respected uh, at Ipswich and presumably by Ed Sheeran. First and foremost, I think he'd take exception with you, Matt, about um, his future lying elsewhere. He, he's got he's got great ambitions, the lad. And I, I found him uh, very refreshing to talk to. I could tell he's already grown. Uh, I, I don't want to sound too cheesy, but he's already grown 
as a player, but also as an individual. When he walked in the room, I sort of went, oh, okay, you, you sort of, you're no longer sort of got that young kid kind of aura about him that he kind of looked when he made his debut against Manchester City last season, looked a little bit overawed by the occasion. He's got a bit more of a swagger about him. I think it's given him a lot of confidence. He's playing regularly under Kieran McKenna. And I was I stayed over and watched him play in Ipswich's win over Swansea. And he had a really good game. The, the end product was a was the, his only negative. He probably should have scored. He nicked the ball off Bashir Humphreys and was through on goal. And you could just tell he probably panicked a little bit and ended up shooting straight at the goalkeeper. He also should have assisted the goal. There was a bit of a one of those or shall I shoot, shall I cross it? And he, he sort of passed it ahead of his teammate, just a little bit too far. And between the two of them, they messed up what should have been an easy goal. But he was applauded off, Matt. Like the whole four stands applauded him off when he was substituted. I think he's very popular there. And as far as the interview goes, I, I sort of cover, obviously, how it's going for him at Ipswich. But you can tell that he still is eyeing up playing at Chelsea like he's still got that ambition and, and you know he's fully aware of the competition for places but um but yeah he's very confident but not not in an arrogant way and he's set himself a lot of goals which I I won't flag here because it's going to basically lead my piece but let's just say that he's got a long list of, of targets that he's set for himself all right well that's a nice tease for what you can read on the athletic now we've also got uh, Liam's match piece from the Manchester City game. Uh, anything else catching your eye this morning, Luke? There is the uh, the morning briefing from Nick Miller, as ever, which kind of covers all the big talking points from the Premier League, which is a nice little summary if you weren't able to watch all of the games. Lovely stuff. Athletic.com slash Chelsea Pod, the place to go to sign up. If you aren't currently a subscriber, you can do so for just pound ninety nine a month. All right, we're taking a little pause for the international break. We'll be back with you on the 23rd of November when we'll look ahead to that Newcastle game, tell you how the women's team have been getting on and plenty more besides. And so do join us for that. Until then, enjoy the break. Be back with you soon. Thanks for your company today. Bye for now. The Athletic.